But you know, as we begin the message today, there are, are a lot of different ways to study the life of Jesus. You can review it from the perspective of the many miracles that he performed. You can examine Jesus' life from the viewpoint of the parables and the sermons that he delivered, but our lectionary reading from last week and from this week is basically looking at the life of Jesus through some of the conversations that he had with people. And, uh, and interestingly, or maybe conveniently, today's text is the same one that we've been dissecting in Sunday school over the last, over the last month. So it's going to be a review for a few of the folks, but you know, we've been studying through the Gospel of John, and it's so rich with meaning that, in my opinion, this particular story and the truths and the meaning that we find in it are probably ones that you can't hear too often or, or repeat too often to really get them soaked into our spirit. And we come today, Father, to the Gospel of John, chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. And John writes, As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sin or his parents' sin? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sin, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. Jesus continued, we must quickly carry out the tasks assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I'm the light of the world. And then he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. His neighbors and others who knew him as the blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man that used to sit and beg? Some said he was. Others said, no, nah, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I'm the one. And they asked, who healed you? What happened? He told them, the man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes, and he told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed, and now I can see. Where is he now, they asked. I don't know, he replied. And then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees. Because it was on the Sabbath day that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. And the Pharisees asked the man all about it, so he told them, he, he put mud over my eyes, and when I washed, I could see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man, Jesus, is not from God, for he's working on the Sabbath. Others said, but how, how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. Then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, well, what's your opinion? about this man who healed you. Well, that's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he's ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. You were born a total sinner, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? And he threw him out of the synagogue. But when Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and asked, Do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, Who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You have seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshipped Jesus. 
And then Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see that they are the blind ones. Amen? And you know, when we started this lesson in Sunday school class, I asked the class if they could imagine what it would be like to be blind. And I asked that because I don't think you and I can really adequately imagine what that was like unless you had actually experienced it, unless you've felt it. You, we probably really have no idea. I mean, even if, even if I ask all of you right now to close your eyes for a minute and imagine that you would never see again, it, it would at best be play acting, right? Because it wouldn't be the, the genuine experience. It would be like, like these two guys uh, in New York, Jeff and John, who were, were walking their dogs around town and, and they discovered this brand new restaurant they wanted to try out. It had just opened and, and Jeff says to John, let's, let's go in and get ourselves something to eat. His buddy John said, we can't go in there. Don't you see that sign that says no pets allowed? Jeff says, ah, don't worry about it. Watch this. And he picks up a pair of sunglasses, puts on the sunglasses, and and he walks up to the door and steps inside. And no sooner did he get in, the manager says, hey, buddy, you can't come in here. There's no pets allowed. Jeff said, you can't keep me out. I'm blind. This is my seeing eye dog. The manager said, but it's a sheep dog. Whoever heard of a sheepdog for the blind? Jeff said, oh, you, you, must not, you must not have heard. This is the latest type of service eye dog. It's perfect for it. So, of course, the manager had to show him to a seat. And so now seeing that this scheme worked, his, his friend John decides he wants to eat too, so he steps into the restaurant with his little dog. And before he can open his mouth, the manager says, don't, don't tell me. Let me guess. Now the chihuahua is the latest type of seeing eye dog, right? <laughs> And so, and so realizing he's busted, but thinking quickly, he, he reaches down and says, what, they gave me a chihuahua? <laughs> now, we can, we can laugh at, at two guys trying to con their way into a restaurant, but the truth is blindness is no joke. Not for the man in the story and not for anyone that's experiencing it today, whether it's profound physical blindness or an even more profound spiritual blindness. But you know, either way, every single person who hears this message today has a stake in it because whether you can see through the organs of your eyes or not, all of us have been spiritually blind at one time in our lives. Maybe you still are. And this morning as we look at this story, it's going to become clear that it really is our story. It's it's your story. It's my story. Because Jesus had offered to give all of us sight too, hasn't he? Jesus literally changed the way this man saw the world, and he can do the same thing for us. So we're going to jump into the story, and in the account that we read, Jesus and his disciples were walking along, and they see this this blind man begging on the side of the street. And you have to remember, in that day and time, there wasn't any welfare. There was no disability. So if you were unable to work, you were often forced to beg in the streets, even if you had a family that loved you because everybody had to pull their own weight in that time. And seeing this man, the disciples asked Jesus a very common question. Whose fault is this? Whose fault is this? Who sinned, this man or his parents? He was born blind. And it was a very common belief back then that if someone was born with a disability, it was a direct punishment from God. And Jesus answered, that's not the case. What did he tell him? He said, This happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. 
It's a pretty startling statement, isn't it? He's saying God was going to do something special in this man's life, and being born blind was a part of that plan. And you know, that's a good thing for us to keep in mind when we come in contact with folks who have disabilities or are going through difficulties, and we wonder, even if it's only to ourselves, why were they born like that? Why are they going through that? And the truth is, we don't always know. But sometimes, sometimes God lets those things happen so that he can do something special in a person's life. I don't think anyone would disagree that was the case with my beautiful wife over here. And she knows now without a doubt that God planned her disability. She knows it for her good and for his glory because she wouldn't be who she is without it. And more than likely, would have had a completely different life right now. And she's come to realize that you can't live your life wishing you've been born under a different set of circumstances. Because the circumstances that you and I experience are one of the ways that God makes us who we are. And the truth is, we never know what God is going to use to break into our lives. But we do know that he's sovereign. We know our God is sovereign. Psalm 115.3 says, Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. He does whatever pleases him for our good and for his glory. But you see, the disciples didn't still quite get this yet. And so it's against that backdrop when we come to this John chapter 9 and this story, it's where these questions kind of take focus. And the disciples see this man born blind and immediately they assume that someone must have sinned. So was it his parents? Was it the man himself? And, you know, the disciples, although they were mostly wrong in their thinking, are at least partially right. It is true that someone sinned, but that someone was Adam and not this man's parents. And that's not to say that the blind man never sinned or that his parents never sinned. But Jesus means here that the man's blindness was not a judgment on him for any particular sin that any of them had committed, but rather an inheritance from Adam, whose sin brought misery to the whole world and caused all of creation to groan under the burden of God's judgment that started in Eden. And that continues right up to today. Right, Romans 5.12 tells us, Sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all men because all have sinned. So when our first father Adam drove the bus of humanity off the cliff, as it were, we all went down with him, right? But the good news is our God is in the recreation and restoration business. And Jesus explained that this man was born blind, he said, in order that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Which means that the man was born blind so that at the right moment, Jesus could display the power of God in healing him and use this man for the extension of God's kingdom. But you can only see that if you have an eternal perspective. You can only have those kind of thoughts in retrospect like the man in today's story did. Because you know that that blind man didn't have any earthly idea that he was about to receive his sight the day that he met Jesus. You know, he woke up that day to the same darkness he had known all his life. And little did he know that his life was about to change forever. And not only his life, but the lives of every single person down across the ages who have ever read or heard this story. And the truth is there are some really timeless lessons in this story for us. Three, actually in the form of a warning, a reminder, and then a great encouragement. 
So a warning, a reminder, and a great encouragement. The first one's the warning. And that is, don't presume to know what only God can know. So speculating about why someone gets sick, why someone dies, why a, a natural disaster hits over here and not over there, puts us on pretty shaky theological ground. Because those things are part of the secret providence of God. We don't know why. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. He doesn't tell us everything, right? We don't tell our kids everything, do we, when they're growing up? Don't listen, guys. God doesn't tell us everything. You see, we can't judge other people based solely on their circumstances because we all, all of us, regardless of who we are, are touched by the infirmities of life in one way or another as a constant reminder of the fragility of human life. And that brings me to my second point, which is the reminder. And that reminder is because we live in a sin-cursed world, we will never be free of suffering and death until the culmination of Christ's kingdom. In the book of Revelation, John says in chapter 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. The sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He'll live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death, sorrow, crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. Making everything new. And that day is going to come. But until then, we can expect to deal with suffering in one way or another as long as we live in this world. But not as a people without hope. Because the story of this man's healing is also a great encouragement. And the encouragement is the fact that you never know when or how the Lord himself may break into your life with his transforming power. I've got several friends right now at this moment that could use that kind of breakthrough from God, and I bet you do too. Folks that need God to intervene. And we can be confident in praying for that exactly because we know our God is sovereign. And because it's not about our ability to change them or convince them. It's not about their worthiness to receive it or deserve it. It's just about God's grace. A grace that sees us first, just the way Jesus saw that man in the crowd. A man that very likely everyone else walked past without giving a second glance. And that's what's so beautiful about this story. It's the fact that although humanity was too blind to see their way to God, God came looking for us, for each of us. And all we have to do is trust him. And you see, that's spelled out in the lesson too, because we read in verse 6, then Jesus spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. And then he told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. So the men went and washed and came back seeing. But I want you to notice here what Jesus didn't tell him. He didn't mention anywhere that he was going to heal him, did he? He just made mud, put it on his eyes, and told him to go wash in a pool. And it doesn't take a whole lot of imagination to think of reasons why this blind man might not have wanted to obey. Right? He must have thought, no, this is ridiculous. I, I don't even know this man. What if I look foolish? What if nothing happens? 
but he trusted and obeyed Jesus anyway, proving that in order to be transformed, all it takes is faith that believes in the words of Jesus Christ, even when you aren't sure of anything else. That's what this blind man did. And when he did, he was able to see for the very first time in his life. And can you imagine what that must have been like? He could finally see what people looked like. He could see what food looked like. He could see the colors in the sky. He could see his face reflected in that pool looking back at him. And his eyes were opened. But that wasn't the end of his trouble yet. Because the text tells us that they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees. To the religious and political leaders who wanted to conduct an official investigation. They wanted to know, how did this happen? Who is it that healed you and where is he now? Well, the man said, his name's Jesus. I think he's from God. You know, I think he's a prophet. To which the the Pharisees replied when they didn't like his answer, how dare you lecture us, you uneducated sinner? And then they threw him out. They literally kicked him out of the church, you could say. But then Jesus comes back into the story. Back to perform an even bigger miracle than just opening this man's physical eyes because now he opened the eyes of the man's heart. And the Bible says that Jesus heard what had happened. He found the man and asked, Do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, Who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You have seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshipped Jesus. He worshipped him. And you see, the religious leaders had rejected this poor man, and now he's an outcast from society. But at that very moment, Jesus went looking for him and brought him to faith. And that's a great lesson to pick up on here because it shows you what the Bible repeatedly stresses, and that is if you believe in Jesus, it's not because you came up with the idea and then went looking for him. But rather, it was the will of God the Father through the work of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit that opens blind eyes to the truth of the gospel. Do you see how this this story is our story? It's your story. It's my story. Because we have to realize that we were all born into this world with our eyes, the eyes of our soul, glued shut. That we were spiritually blind. That we couldn't see who Jesus was, and when you can't see who Jesus is, you can't see who God is. And when you can't see who God is, there are a lot of things that don't make sense in this world. Like, why am I here on this planet? What's my purpose for existing? What's going to happen to me? Where am I going to go from here? And when you can't see Jesus Christ, you can't see the answers to any of those questions until Jesus reaches out and touches us so that we can see. See that God would love me enough to send his son to take my sins away and to see that he uses whatever means that he will to bring us to that truth. The truth that God knew what he was doing all along. You know, we had, uh, I mentioned before, on this Monday past, one of the largest funerals that I personally have ever seen in this church for our dear sister Dolores. And when I was talking with her daughters, with Lauren, who I know is listening out there in cyberspace, and, and Brenda, who's with us, we kind of talked about the circumstances of Dolores' illness that, that brought us all together as a family here. 
that brought them to be part of our family and us to be part of theirs. And, and those thoughts kind of brought me to this closing illustration that I want to share with you. It's a story of a pastor from Mississippi, and he writes, In 1932, my grandfather, A.M. Overton, was pastor of a church in Mississippi with his wife and three small children. His wife was pregnant with their fourth child, but when it came time for delivery, there was complications, and both she and the baby died, and a memorial was arranged. But all during their funeral service, the officiating pastor noticed that my grandfather was writing on a piece of paper, continually writing. So after the service, the minister asked him about it, about what was he writing? And my grandfather handed him the paper on which he had written this poem entitled, He Maketh No Mistake. And I want to share it with you. This is what he wrote. He said, My father's way may twist and turn. My heart may throb and ache. But in my soul I'm glad to know he maketh no mistake. My cherished plans may go astray. My hope may fade away. But still I'll trust my Lord to lead. For he doth know the way. Night be dark and it may seem that day will never break. I'll pin my faith My all on him, he maketh no mistake. There's so much now I cannot see, my eyesight's far too dim. But come what may, I'll simply trust and leave it all to him. For by and by the mist will lift, and plain it all he'll make. Through all the way, though dark to me, he made not one mistake. Not one mistake. And in the end, that will be the testimony of every child of God. Because, you know, no doubt the parents of this blind man that we read about felt that somehow a mistake had been made. Somewhere, somehow. The townspeople all like to pass judgment and point accusing fingers. Even the disciples thought this poor man had been born blind because of his sin. But, you know, the world thought the very same thing about Jesus Christ, didn't they? And even those those followers of his, those folks that followed him to the cross and watched him die there must surely have thought, how can anything good ever come out of this? But we know the end of the story, don't we? We read the last page of the book, and that's the story of Lent. It's the story of Holy Week. It's the story of Easter Sunday. And one day, that day is going to come when the sunlight of God's love is going to surround us, and we're going to stand together in the presence of Jesus who loved us, who gave himself for us, that our blind eyes, which Christ had opened, are going to look back over the pathway of our lives and see that through all its twists and turns, through all the, the mud and the dirt of life disappointments, all the way to the heights and the, the joys, through all the detours and dead ends, that he made not one mistake. And then we can say, in the words of the blind man whose eyes Jesus touched, once I was blind, but now I can see. The light of the world is Jesus. Amen? Will you pray with me? God of light, you see us, Father, even when we don't see you. Help us, Lord, to trust in you even when the way forward seems filled with darkness. And Father, even though it's hard to do, we thank you for using our troubles and our trials as a means of showing forth your grace. We ask, Father, you would be glorified in us and through us this week touching us with your hand of mercy, that whatever we face, whatever trials we go through, that you would make us whole and hold our hands in Christ's name. Amen.